Welcome to Exploring Possibilities. I'm your host, Cheryl Sitz, and I've created this show to demystify holistic wellness one conversation at a time. You'll get to know the person behind the practice, what inspired them to express their gifts and talents the way they do, and then we'll dive into their practice for a deeper understanding. There are so many ways that we can heal ourselves and our planet. Why not play in possibility? See what resonates for you. You'll find over three years of archived shows at journeyofpossibilities.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play, and you'll never miss a show. If you do subscribe, I'd like to ask you to rate us so that others will find our show as well. Thank you so much for that. We'll introduce today's guest right after these messages from our sponsors. Have you ever gone to a social media seminar and you have the online experts telling you, get a blog, get a website, get on social media, all this other stuff. By the time you're done with that seminar, that online expert is very good at frying your brain. (laughs) The funny part is, you come back home, you get in front of the computer, and you're lost. Hi, I am Mario with Tech Life Balance. I see this all the time. You spend so much money and still don't know what is going on with your online presence. And you know, you probably don't need all of that. Let me go ahead and translate geek to english for you and show you what you really need because you don't need it all. You probably only need a few components. You have a great message out there and I would like to hear it and I definitely want to help you put it out there. I am Mario Rosales with techlifebalance.net. I produce this podcast because I love distributing messages. Let me help you distribute your message. Hi, it's your host, Cheryl Sitz. And when I'm not doing this podcast, I enjoy offering live or remote coaching sessions to help my clients explore their possibilities. Maybe you have a physical pain and you've never really gotten to the emotional root cause. Wouldn't it be nice to be free of that? We can do that together. We can also explore what it is you really want or what's really holding you back and get rid of that too. There's lots we can do together. Contact me, CherylSitz.com. Now on with the show. Remember, right now, advertising is on special through the end of this year. So if you act now, you can buy an ad, get an ad free. And we recommend you buy several so that you have a chance to really reach our audience. They kind of need to hear from you a few times before they reach out and pick up the phone. But we would love to help you get your advertising on our podcast where we reach thousands of listeners each week. And they are listeners that you want to talk to or you wouldn't be listening to the show either, right? (laughs) Today's guest joining us is Omkari Williams. And you can find her online at Omkari. OmkariWilliams.com. Omkari believes that sharing our stories can help heal the world, and I definitely believe that too. She's a writer, speaker, and coach who helps people design and live the meaningful, passionate, truth-filled lives they envision. I discovered her through her Elephant Journal articles, and I really loved one in September she put out about busyness, which we are definitely going to talk about on this show. I knew I'd found a kindred soul sister, and we had to have her on. Welcome, Omkari. Oh, thank you so much, Cheryl. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm just so glad to have you. Thank you. I know we do get busy. So thank you for taking time from your busy life to be with us. (laughs) I try and walk my talk. So I try and keep busy to a minimum. (laughs) Oh, I love it. Well, you can definitely help us with that too. I'd like to kind of start by letting our listeners and me too, actually get to know you a little bit. I did see that you had an acting career, and you left to go live in an ashram for three years. So speaking of busy, you went from busy to almost complete stillness, didn't you? What prompted that? That's a really lovely way to put it, first of all. <laughs> I had not really thought of it that way, but thank you for that. <laughs> I 
I did. I was actually one of those people who was fortunate enough to be making money as an actor. You know, one of the people you never hear about, but who is still able to support themselves doing what they love. But I was starting to feel like it wasn't using enough of me. And I just got to that point where I thought, there's got to be something else. And I have the freedom to explore that right now. Let me take a break and do that. So I put everything else on hold. And originally, I wasn't going to live in an ashram for three years. Originally, I was going to spend a summer there. (laughs) And (laughs) yeah, three years later. um, But it was just such a wonderful experience. I'm originally from Manhattan. So busy is the water that I was born swimming in. And it was just the norm. And I just really needed a break. I needed time to think and I needed time to figure out what those gaps I was feeling in my soul were about. So off I went. And it was an amazing journey. I learned so much about myself. I learned so much about other people and just how to move through the world with a little bit more ease. That sounds beautiful. Okay, well, just in full disclosure on my part, because I believe in being as vulnerable as I ask my guests to be. So I went and did a 10 day silent meditation retreat Vipassana. And I remember thinking, can I actually sit there and shut up for 10 days and just be with myself and how to go from my busy life to that? How in the world, I can't even wrap my head around trying to do a full summer or three years of that silent meditation. How did you make that adjustment without kind of exploding, I guess? Well, ours was not a silent meditation ashram. So we did actually, you know, we all had jobs and we would speak, but we were encouraged to speak thoughtfully and to not just babble. So And there were definitely long periods of time where we were in silence and in meditation. And each day started and ended with meditation. But since it wasn't three years of dead silence, I couldn't have done that. I think if I had tried to do that, I probably would have just imploded. Because by nature, I'm a little bit of a chatty Kathy. But, you know, it was a good exercise for me. I got to be a lot more conscious about the words I was using and the impact of those words and being very deliberate about them. And it actually is, I think, really what led me to writing as a career rather than just as something I did for myself. I got to understand how powerful words are in a different way. Yes, they are. And you're so right. I've always been a speaker as well. And I don't think that I was aware of the impact of my words when I was speaking or even at the point that I created them as thoughts on me on the world around me. I don't think I knew about any of that. So did was that the kind of clarity that you got from spending that time there? It was because I also hadn't really thought about that. I mean, I knew about the power of words because I was an actor. Yes. But I didn't think about the power of my words. I thought about the power of words someone had written without making the pretty obvious leap that their words and my words are all words and the effect is always important to the person listening and being in the ashram and having to sit with myself and having to be more aware of the words I was choosing to use made me see how they landed on people and that actually was part of the not being busy in that way because when you're not busy you actually have time to notice things and that was one of the things I started to notice. 
That is so true. Well, that's a great place for me to go ahead and kind of cut over to the article that you wrote because I loved it. You said in the article, when we are never out of touch with the world, we don't have a lot of time or energy to be in touch with ourselves. And then you asked readers, what if we took back our lives by taking back our time and refusing to be busy all day, every day? I have to ask you, what inspired you to actually write this particular article and how do we do that? Well, I think the inspiration was that after leaving the ashram and going back out into the world and getting back into acting and all the other things I was doing, over time I started to lose that connection to not busy. And one day I woke up and I thought, you know what, this weekend I'm just going to take a weekend with no talking. I'm not going to talk to anyone. I'm not going not gonna to turn on the television. I'm not going to read a book. I'm just going to be. And it was really revelatory. I, I noticed for the first time in a while how I just slid back into busy and how I hadn't heard what I was saying inside my head, which was, you need a break. You need a break. But there was no space for me to notice that. And that I didn't need to leave the world and go back into the ashram for a break, I needed to rejigger how I was moving through the world. And that's really what the start of it was for me. And I just started noticing how busy had become the new black. You'd call someone up and they were too busy to talk to you. They would pencil you in. And we were doing that to each other. And I thought, this is not how we used to be. And this is not kind and compassionate This makes everything feel like a business transaction, and I did not want to be in that place. And it's so easy to do when our culture operates from that vantage point. Everything is scheduled and hectic and fast-paced, and you've touched on something that's become very important to me, especially recently, which is how do I keep this peace and this beauty and what I find in ceremony or in meditation in my life actively day after day? What are some of your favorite daily practices for keeping yourself from slipping back into busy? Well, one of them is walking. I am a big proponent of just taking a walk. And I'm very fortunate to live in a climate where walking this time of year doesn't require putting on every article of clothing you own. (laughs) So (laughs) I can just put on my sneakers and sometimes a sweater and hit the ground and I will walk for three or four miles a day is a regular thing. And it doesn't take all that long. I'm a pretty quick walker. But that one hour or so of just being out and just noticing things is so centering for me. I find that really helps me. And it gives me time to sort of without focusing on it too hard, I still get to process what I really want to do that day. And I also make a point of picking three things that are the things I really need to accomplish on any given day. And everything else is then bonus. But I just have those three things so that I can focus and not be scattered and not be jumping from thing to thing, feeling like, oh, I'm not getting enough done here or there. And just being able to check those things off one at a time makes me feel a sense of accomplishment. It keeps me calmer. I can see progress in the various things I'm working on. And all of that really helps my state and helps keep me from feeling like I've gotten out of balance. Great, great tips. Yes. And those are easy tips. Those are things we can all do. We just have to 
make the time and decide that they're important, right? I mean, isn't that a biggie? We have to decide that we're important enough to take care of ourselves in these ways every day. Exactly. And that these things work for me doesn't mean they'll work for everyone, but there's something that you already know how to do that works for you. And it's identifying that thing and reconnecting with it and just making a practice of it and waking up in the morning and saying, okay, I know this works. Let me do this. And if you don't have an hour to take a walk, even if you just get out for 15 minutes, besides that it's good for you physically, it's so good for you mentally and emotionally. And then whatever other tricks you have that you know have kept you in that place of feeling comfortable in your own skin, just bringing those back consciously because the thing that's really easy is to let other people decide what our day is going to look like. (laughs) And that feels really stressful. Yes, definitely. Other than being aware of our busyness and our hectic lives and slowing ourselves down, for you personally, what else did you kind of take away from this time that you spent at the ashram and kind of getting away from the day-to-day to soul search? I think the biggest takeaway was that we are so much more alike than we think we are. Living in the ashram, there were people from all over the world. And it was remarkable. I mean, not only from all over the world, but from very different life experiences than mine. And yet we were all able to connect because as you got to know people and you started to hear their stories, you realized that the details of their stories were likely quite different than yours. But the underlying piece was really the same. I mean, our stories were about love or about family or our careers or our aspirations across the board of our lives. And that those things, we all share those. We all have dreams and fears and goals and anxieties. We have those things in common. And when you hear those stories and you start to see the threads between us, it's very hard to look at people and think, oh, they're so different from me. I have nothing in common with them. Instead, they become someone that you look at and you think, hmm, it's a different aspect of the story, but it's the same story. I can really relate to how they got to think what they think or feel what they feel. And that, I think, was the most important thing for me, because that's sort of the piece that led me to recognizing how powerful story actually is, and that it can heal the world. Because when we stop looking at people as the other, and start looking at them as an extension of the human family, it's a very different dynamic. We treat each other with a lot of kindness and compassion as opposed to fear and anxiety. Looking at what's going on in the world today, we, we kind of see a heightening of that fear and anxiety right now. It's kind of shaking that out of us with, with world events, political, financial, so on. I think more than ever, it's time to share those stories and and really see that every other is just like me. We Exactly what you said. You may look different, but you're, you're like me. We're all with the same human struggles and conditions, just the, the coding looks different and the stories sound a little different. But the stories also make it more interesting to discover that, don't they? They do. And that's the thing is you realize there's this human condition that we all share, but look at all the variations on it. And isn't that cool? I mean, you know, yes, we all want our children to grow up and have long, healthy, happy lives. But how we define those long, healthy, happy lives is really different depending on 
where we grew up ourselves and, and what our desires and expectations are for ourselves and for them. I mean, for some people, it means you want your kid to grow up and be a doctor. For other people, it means you want your child to grow up and be a poet. But we still want the same things at bottom. And that piece of it just knocks my socks off every time. And I love hearing people's stories. We are a fascinating species. We are. And when we let ourselves embrace our uniqueness and our diversity within our connectedness, I just think, I think if we did that really fully, we would live in a really different world. We would live in a world where there was no cancer because people would have collaborated and figured that out. We would have live in a world that was far more peaceful than the world we currently live in. And we wouldn't be afraid for our children or our grandchildren. And we wouldn't worry about how are we going to make it when we're old because there'd be a community to support us. Right. It would be about discovery and exploration and love instead of fear and competition and, and all that. I agree with you completely. So what are some of the things that you run into? You say that you help people share their stories. Are there mm-hmm. some common things holding people back that they share with you? What do you hear the most about that? That's a good question. I think that the most common thing is fear. People are afraid. And that's really understandable. I mean, if you're in a place where your life is going along pretty well, and you are thinking about making a change, that's really scary. And you feel like you may have to hold on tightly to what you have just because what you have is familiar. And then on the other side of it, if you're in a place where your life is not going well at all, that right there is terrifying. And change doesn't always mean good. Change can can be bad sometimes. I mean, things happen that are not wonderful. And if you're already in a vulnerable place, it gets easier to focus on the possibility for change not being a positive thing. And also, often people around us get anxious when we start to change because they fear that we might grow away from them and they get anxious about that loss. So fear to me is always the biggest obstacle to people. And figuring out how to move through that fear is the biggest success that people have. I think it's interesting how that question led into a conversation about change. So it leads me to another question. How does telling and sharing our story change us? I think that the main thing is when we tell our stories, we are putting ourselves out there in a vulnerable, soft way. And watching our stories land on people reassures us because I literally do not know anyone who has told an important story about themselves to a group of people or an individual who was willing to listen who did not get compassion back because everyone on the listening end can relate in some way to whatever the experience the storyteller had and vice versa. When you're the listener, you literally sit there and you think, oh my goodness, I had no idea that so-and-so shared this experience or shared this fear, or maybe they have had a different experience than mine, but I can see this. I can understand this from my own life. We literally start to see parallels where we didn't before, and that's the most profound thing to me. I agree. It really is. It's it's where humanity connects. So we're back to that connection piece again. It is. So it sounds like you're telling me that one of the important 
how-tos about sharing our story would be to lead with the heart, be vulnerable, and, and share from a place of vulnerability? It is, but it's also important to not push it. You know, you need to be aware of where you are and who you're sharing your story with, because sometimes people are not really, really ready to hear your story, and you don't want to put your story out there and have someone stomp all over it. <laughs> I mean, that doesn't happen often, yeah. but sometimes it does. So I think an awareness of where you are and who your audience is, and I use audience in the, in the sort of broad sense, not like you're on a stage, but just who your listener is, and whether you feel safe enough to share that story. And safe enough doesn't mean that there's no anxiety, because whenever you're opening yourself up, there is going to be a bit of anxiety. But it means that you're listening to yourself and you believe it's worth the risk that you're taking. And the other part of that is that even if you tell your story to someone who really can't hear it, that's their loss, but it's still your gain because you have put yourself out there, you've opened your heart, and there's never, ever nothing good that comes from that. There's always some nugget of good that comes from that, even if it's simply that you told your story to someone who wasn't that interested and you survived the experience and you learned to maybe be a teeny bit more discerning the next time, or you learn that you don't care, you're still willing to just tell your story. So I think that it's it's a funny kind of balance, but I always opt for telling the story. And you can practice, you can find safe spaces. Something I used to do and I'm considering doing again is story salons. And people would gr- gather together in groups and we'd have tea and coffee and pastries and things like that. And we just sit around and share our stories and you'd hear someone's story and they had an option to either just tell the story and get no feedback or tell the story and hear what people thought about it. And one of the really cool things that would happen sometimes is they would tell a story that was a hard story for them and and had some anxiety in it or disappointment in it. And if they got feedback, often what happened was the feedback led them to reframing the story and understanding it in a different way, and that they could then let go of some of the disappointment and see that maybe the interpretation they had originally put on the story wasn't the only interpretation, because stories are our our interpretations of things that happen to us. They are not actually facts. You know, we have the events, and then we write the story around them. And sometimes the story we write doesn't help us. And when we look at it again, and someone gives us another perspective, we can recognize that and write a story that is more empowering for ourselves. That is so true. I I agree with everything that you've said. I had someone tell me just today, you know, the last time you had a women's group at your home, I enjoyed hearing all the women's stories and I didn't feel so alone. So I agree with that about sharing our stories. It's definitely true. And it's funny too, that you said what you said about whether the story serves us or not, because that's been a big part of my healing journey was realizing where something happened, I wrote a story around it and the story was holding me back and going back and identifying that that wasn't really what happened. That was the story I wrote about what happened and detaching the two. So I think that the more we can share those among ourselves with trusted others and get more perspectives on the story, it's new ways that we can see things that can actually really help us heal even some old wounds we may not have looked at yet. Have you had any experiences like that? 
I have. I mean, I've had that myself, and I've also had it with people in the story salons. And I think you exactly put your finger on it. We don't realize that we're holding these stories in a way that is not helpful to us. We just sort of, once we have a story, we assume that's the truth. But story is literally that. I mean, we call them stories for a reason. <laughs> they are not actually facts. They're an interpretation. And that is a really powerful thing to recognize because then if it's not working for you, you can change it. You can change it. You can, if you have written a story where you are the victim, you can change that story. The events still happen, but you can change your relationship to it so that you are not the victim. You are the strong survivor of whatever that experience was and you can move on from there. And that's not a lie. It's not making something up. It is that you choose to hold it differently and you get to choose how you hold the story of the things that happened to you. That's very empowering. Yay. Good. (laughs) (laughs) So tell me about your story. Have you shared much of your story yet? Or is that still in like in written form? Or are you really more driven to help other people share their stories? It's a bit of both. Uh, One thing I am very cognizant of is... I can't share stories I haven't really worked through yet. So I will write about things that I have, that I feel really like I've come to understand them well enough or come to put enough emotional distance between myself and the story so that I'm not being run by the story. But there, you know, if something has just happened to me, I can't always write about that because I may not have enough emotional distance from it to be, to be objective and to be clear and to be helpful. But I do try and share my own story in my writing because I'm asking other people to do that. So I need to be willing to do the same. What do you say to someone who says, well, I've thought about sharing my story, but everybody else has already written. There's already stories like that out there. I don't really need to do that. Are we writing for other people? Are we writing for ourselves? Do they all need to get told? Well, I will start with this. There are, what, almost 8 billion people on the planet. So there are (laughs) almost 8 billion stories, but there are probably only seven themes of stories. Love, hate, lust, you know, There's just not that many things that stories are about. So yes, your story does matter. And putting it out there does matter because your story is going to connect very specifically with the story of someone else that you may never know, but your story may be the thing that actually helps them move on in life in a stronger way. So even though people have written stories about addiction or suicide or failed love for years, for as long as people have been alive, (laughs) telling your story about that is going to connect to someone. And that matters. And even if you, by some unbelievably impossible for me to imagine miracle, if your story didn't connect with anyone else, you still are a human being on this planet. And your story matters. And getting your story out there matters for you. So, yeah, I believe everyone should tell their story. And I believe that when you do, you all of a sudden find that, so what? If 50 million other people have told their stories, there are people out there for whom your story is going to be the most important one at that moment. 
That's beautiful. It's so true. It's so true. There, there's so much to connect between us and we may never know who we impact, but I've benefited from every story I've ever read. So I can't imagine that someone wouldn't benefit from reading any story I wrote as well. It's, it's a good way to look at it. Exactly. I mean, and we somehow give other people these superpowers of, well, you know, their stories matter. They're just <laughs> like us. So yeah, their stories matter, but so do all of our stories. And when we look at it that way, we immediately are in a more compassionate place, not only for the other person, but for ourselves, because we tend to be brutally hard on ourselves and far more compassionate to others. And bringing some of that self-kindness back to us is a really good thing to do when you're sitting there thinking about telling your story you would never shut your best friend down if your best friend said, I need to tell you this story. Well, then be as kind to yourself as you would be to your best friend. I like that. I'm going to quote that one. You know, for me, journaling has been a huge part of my healing journey. Everything mm-hmm. from when I was the lonely, scared kid about something and I'd pick up a little diary and write in it to now I still keep journals and going the writing it for me is healing. And so is the going back and reading it and, and seeing things in a new way through the fact that I wrote it down. So I believe we also write for ourselves for our own healing. Do you find that to be true for you? Oh, absolutely. Especially when I was uh, a teenager and I was just horribly awkward and I (laughs) felt so uncomfortable in my own very tall, very skinny little body. And just being able to write and get those things out that I would never have said to a soul was really helpful. It kept me from being even more angsty than I was. (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty sure there's no such word as angsty, but I don't care. I gotcha. But but yeah, and still to now I write for myself differently. Now I write so that I know what I'm thinking. Because sometimes I don't even know what I'm thinking until I start writing. And that's part of the busy thing is, you know, you can get into this rhythm of just doing. And the writing gives me time to slow down and just understand what it is that's actually going on in my head. And get out what needs to get out and reflect on what needs to be reflected on. Yes, it's a, it's a, definitely a part of my meditation practices to either journal before, after, sometimes both. And like you said, it helps me personally, at least to put clarity to my thoughts. Sometimes I don't even know how to synthesize it until I have to find some words and put it down there. And then as I explore through the, through the language, I find deeper meanings that I, I might have missed. So I think it's really a neat tool for self-growth as well as to share with others. I agree completely. I And it's easy. All you have to do is have a piece of paper and something to write with, and there you are. I mean, you don't need anything more than that. And you can either share it or not, or go back and read it again, or burn it the next day, whatever. It's just there's something about expressing yourself on paper that is very powerful. Yes, definitely. Well, so you do the creativity coaching and and obviously inspiring. You do that with your clients and then you do your own writing and you've just put out playbook. Tell me about that. Yes, I, (laughs) this was a project that actually took me a couple of years to complete. And I, when I started it, the playbook, creating the life you want, I just was doing it for my clients. My clients would ask me, 
the same questions, sort of different clients over and over, I'd hear the same questions, and I thought, they need something to help them in between our coaching sessions. To have, they need something concrete that they can work on so that they can really create these rich, rewarding, spiritually rewarding, creatively rewarding, emotionally rewarding lives that they're looking for. And so I started working on this playbook, and I would put questions in it and prompts. And then I thought, it needs to be more fun, you know, because this needs to be fun. So I got in touch with a friend of mine who's a really gifted artist. And she, I said, draw a bunch of trees. I want trees that represent relationship and family and home and fun and diff- money. And so she made me a series of trees. And we put them in the book with Basically, each tree would have your plan on its branches, the things that were important to you, the things you wanted to let go of. And these were the models. And then we put in empty tree, blank trees so that people could fill them in themselves. And, and then we made the pages so you could color on them as well. And it's been, I mean, I'm so excited about it. It's beautiful, and, which I can say because I didn't do the artwork. Um, <laughs> and... It is just, I'm having so much fun with it. And the response has been so great. The The people who have bought it just love it. And they say, this is just perfect blend of intuitive and and deeply perceptive questioning and fun with the art and the visuals of it. So I'm really, really happy about it. Okay, now I'm dying to have one. <laughs> It's on Amazon. Oh, yes, yes, yes. on Amazon. Go look for the playbook, Creating the Life You Want. It is there. It sounds like a lot of fun to go through. And it sounds like a great Christmas gift since we're at that time of year for somebody that may have somebody on their list they don't know what to get. That sounds like a wonderful gift idea also. It is. Actually, I just um, delivered a bunch of them to someone who wanted 10 for her family and friends. So, yeah. She will be shipping them out to people all over the country in a few days, I think. So that was pretty exciting for me since this is the first book I've ever written. So wow. I'm pretty I'm pretty excited about it. Good for you. Well, you've been doing Thank quite you. a bit of writing for like uh, Elephant Journal. And so where all do you, do you have articles published all over the place? Or has that been one of your main channels? Elephant Journal and My Empowered World are the two online sites that I mostly have been writing for. And then I have some articles in magazines here, some local Savannah magazines. So yeah, it's been, and it's really interesting because I'd never submitted my stuff for publication until about, I think, six months ago. And all of a sudden, it's all I can do to keep up with it. So it's really been exciting and very gratifying because I just thought, well, no one wants to read what I'm writing, you know, I mean, you know, not in the whole large world. And I was wrong about that. And it's really very humbling that people are reading what I write and sharing it on and that it's meaningful for them. That that tells me that what I believe about story and how I put it out there is actually true. And that if we just keep sharing and keep moving ourselves into that place of vulnerability and into that place of receptivity that we can really make a difference in this very, very fractured world that we're currently living in. And I think that's hugely important. It is. It's very important. Do you have some words for someone who may be struggling with 
at this time with writing. Maybe maybe they just they can't figure out what to write or they want to write, but they can't get started or it's not flowing easily. What do you say to someone like that? The first thing I would say is just sit down and don't worry about the result. Just sit down and write for five minutes. If that's all you write for today, that's fine. Five minutes. Don't look at it and critique it while you're writing. Just let yourself write and don't worry about it because we are very harsh critics of ourselves. And the main thing with writing is to get into the habit of writing. And there is one of my favorite books is The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. And he talks about resistance and how resistance gets us to stop what we really need and want to do. And that's why I say five minutes. You can do anything for five minutes and just make it so simple that you literally can't not do it. I mean, even if so, if five minutes is too much, sit down and write one sentence. doesn't matter what it's about. And then the next day, write one sentence. And what happens is once you sit yourself down and you start, it becomes harder to just stop after one sentence. You'll write five sentences or a whole paragraph and you build a habit. And that's the most important thing is build a habit. I mean, I sit down every day and some days nothing that I would ever show anyone, including the cat, shows up on the page. (laughs) But it doesn't matter. What matters is that I just do it every day so that the habit is there and I am kicking resistance to the curb. That's really good advice. That's really good advice for a whole lot of things. I mean, that was the exact same advice about meditation. Can you do five minutes and then see if you can work up to seven and then see if you can work up to 10. And some days you may not have five and some days you may have 20. And so that's really good advice for everything, isn't it? Just learning how to have these habits of the things that we want to bring into our lives. I think so, because there are just days you just don't want to, but it doesn't matter that you don't want to. What matters is what you do. You don't have to love it. You just have to do it. Because what will happen is after the doing of it, even if it didn't go as well as you would like, you will have done it. And you will get to give yourself the kudos for having accomplished that. And that's not a small thing. And that's kind of how the gym and I relate, working out at yes, the gym. Once too. I go, I'm happy. But <laughs> going there sometimes takes oh, a major it's act. <laughs> it's brutal. It's like pulling teeth to get out of the house. You'd think I was going off to the firing squad. (laughs) Yes. I love it. When would I want to work with you as a creativity coach? When does that come in? How do you support the, the act of writing for someone? If you are stuck, you want to, that's when you want to work with me as a creativity coach in particular, because I will help you create those little tiny ways of moving into doing your work so that doing your work becomes as much of a habit as avoiding doing your work. (laughs) But what I really do with my coaching is I incorporate life and creativity coaching because I don't actually draw a distinction between those things. I think if you're alive, you're creative. You may not be a painter or a writer or a dancer or a musician, but if you get yourself dressed in the morning and you're not doing it looking at a catalog that's telling you what to wear, or you can make a meal, or you can do, or you can arrange the furniture in your home, you're creative. And I, I think people often have a narrow view of creativity that gets in their way. And what I like to do with my coaching is bring that whole person back together. 
one of my favorite clients is an attorney and she works at a big firm and she's got a lot of responsibility. But for her relaxation, what she had forgotten she liked to do and we discovered she liked to do was she likes to sketch just for herself. And going back to that habit and that pa- that practice of sketching, she's found that to be such an enormous stress reliever for her. It connects her to who she was as a child. It connects her to her inner vision of the world. And, you know, she's, she'll tell you. She says, I'm, I'm never going to sell anything. This is not what I'm doing it for. I'm doing it because it feels good. And we all have that thing we have that we used to love doing as a child. But if we can pick it back up, in some way, shape, or form, it will inform our days in ways we can't even imagine, and it will enrich our days in ways we can't imagine. So that's what I do with clients. I try and bring them back to that integrated whole place of your adult self and that that child part of yourself and the creative part of yourself and the thinking part of yourself and just pull it all together because that's who we are. We're meant to be these whole human beings. We're not meant to sort of separate everything out and leave things till, you know, the kids are grown or something. I mean, we miss a lot that way. Yes, we do. I'm curious, what question might you ask a client that would help them to rediscover a lost passion of theirs from their childhood like that? It's actually one of the things I do right at the outset of the playbook. We do a little excavation exercise and they go back and list all the things they wanted to be when they were children. I wanted to be a circus ballerina, just saying. (laughs) And they would, they, whatever it was, astronaut, whatever. And when you look at those things, those are maybe likely not things you still want to be, but there are elements of them that are part of who you still want to be. I mean, for me, the circus ballerina was, I loved performing, and I loved tutus. So there you have it. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) Yep. And I still enjoy performing on the rare occasions that I do it. And I still love tutus, even though I don't have any. I may need to go out and get myself one. But, um, (laughs) you know, there's, there's always that piece of us and that piece doesn't go away. We just forget it and, or we stomp on it or we think it belongs in a drawer somewhere. But if you wanted to be an astronaut, that's really cool. What is it about being an astronaut that was so powerfully speaking to you? Was it the exploring? Was it escaping to another planet? What was it? And finding the essence of that lets you start to find where your creative passions still They may be little embers, but they're still there. Yes, they are. I love it. I have got to get this now. So we're talking about the playbook by Omkari Williams, and you'll find Omkari online at omkariwilliams.com. And the playbook will be, we are going to link to that playbook right here on the podcast. So you can just click that link to get straight there and get your copy. Great. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Omkari, I love to wrap up the show and I could talk to you all day. You have such a beautiful energy about you, but I like to end the show by asking my guests if they have a parting thought that they would like to leave the listener with. So do you have a parting thought for us today? I do. You know, we're moving into the holiday season and it's been a really rough year for a lot of people. And what I would like is for all of us to just realize that we are more alike than we are different, 
and to reach out with compassion, the same compassion we would want shown for us to those who may be feeling fragile in this chaotic time. And to remember that when we reach out to others in compassion, we're also giving ourselves a hug at the same time. So that's what I would like. Beautiful. You are such a bright light shining in the world, and I'm so glad that you took the time to visit with us today and that you are out there encouraging all of us to share our stories and sharing your own very interesting story, too. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. This has been so much fun. Would you like to be a guest on Exploring Possibilities? Drop me a note at info at journeyofpossibilities.com. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time on Exploring Possibilities.